0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Wilkin & Gut Plans, The Balance Sheet Breakdown. Uh, Today on The Balance Sheet Breakdown, we're going to be talking through a lot of the maybe common questions and common challenges that we see companies face as they look to expand their business, uh, you know, maybe most specifically from India over here to the U.S. (music) Uh, today joining me on the podcast is uh, the leader of our international group, uh, Vinay Navani. So Vinay, thank you so much for joining. Hey, I Chris. This, I, I think it's going to be exciting.
1: I, I think it is exciting. This is stuff that just always kind of percolates in my head and I'm glad we're kind of putting it all together in a list and uh, organized format.
0: I feel like you and I do do a lot of this work together, right? And and yeah. and we have this maybe same conversation. It, it feels like weekly. Later this month, you'll be heading over to India. I'm not sure if it's for personal recreation <laughs> running I, a 10K I, in, I, you know, in <laughs> Mumbai or what. Um, you know, but this you know, seems like a timely timely conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly. So January 21st, 2024, the, uh, the uh, Indian uh, Tata um, Marathon in Mumbai, I'll be running. You'll be Not, there. not in the marathon, the 10K. The <laughs> 10K. Um, but I do like to go every year and just kind of visit and collect with clients. and, and um, Because what we'll talk about today is a lot of the U.S. Uh, companies, really, the, the finance team, management sitting in India, so it's good to connect with them
0: for for us being maybe what we like to think of as holistic advisors right it's not just about taking care of these maybe what initially start off as small us subsidiaries it's it's hey you know we're where we really try to be um, you know that trusted advisor across you know across all all, all aspects of the business absolutely you know and so so thinking about you know the top 10 11 things that that we get asked all the time i think the, the first thing everybody asks is well, what type of entity? What are my choices? You know, it's, it's, it's not private limited like it is in India. Uh, yes. It's something different.
1: So, so what will happen is people will Google, and they'll, they'll call me and they say, but we want to be an S-Corp because an S-Corp doesn't pay any tax. And, and as a U.S. tax advisor, we know that an S-Corp doesn't work, right, because an S-Corp, you have to have U.S. shareholders. Um, partnerships, LLCs are problematic. I'm not going to get too—we're not going to make this a technical podcast— Really, 90% of the time, when a company is coming to the US from India, or frankly, from most jurisdictions, yep. will usually want a C corporation in the US. So the C corporation is like a black box, you pay the tax at the US level, um, and then when you des- if and when you decide you want to send a dividend to the home country, you send a dividend, there may be additional rate of withholding based on the, um, the, the tax treaty we have with that country, but, but that's generally what we see. Um, the other nuance I'll throw in there is in India, they have concepts of partnerships the same way we, same way we do, LLPs, general, uh, general partnerships. But in India, it's a very different concept. In India, the partnership firm pays the tax and the distribution goes out to the, to the partners tax free. In the U.S., of course, it's, the, it's opposite. the opposite. The partnership reports the income, but it doesn't pay any tax. The owners pay the tax and that's one of the reasons why kind of partnerships don't really work well coming from India to the US.
0: Right, like, like you said, the, the C Corp allows everything to kind of be fully self-contained, typically no initial tax, ob- tax obligations or filing obligations by anybody else other than and the C Corp, as C-Corp. long as we
1: plan it right. Correct, correct, correct. correct.
0: correct. You know, and, and you know, I, th- I think with that, right, it's, hey, I'm opening a business, how do I fund it?
1: How do you fund it, exactly. And,
0: you know, is, is it debt? Is it is it capital stock? What is par value? And I mean, to me, it's hey, par value is always some nominal rate, but I think that's not that's not how everybody necessarily feels about it.
1: Correct. So, so in the U.S., look, we're accountants. I'm not a I'm not a corporate attorney. In my mind, par value of stock is kind of a a something from antiquity. It's it's something that really has no practical yep. significance. Although I'm, sh- I'm sure I I, I'm,
0: I'm sure, sure there is I'm, something an attorney would argue with you. Y- yes, yes, <laughs> right. Yes, yes. But okay, I, I okay, yeah,
1: okay. So, so. And also as a preface, you know, we don't practice Indian tax law. We don't, you know, I kind of see it from a more practical point of view. So in India, when they look at par value as that there needs to be an exchange of of money from India for something of equal value. So there often seems to be a real focus on what the par value is because due to Indian restrictions on currency controls and things like that, transferring over $1,000 to fund a US, U.S. entity, they need to receive something worth $1,000. And usually it seems that that's being driven by the par value. Yeah. So with the U.S. subsidiaries of Indian companies, we'll have very atypical uh, capital structures because we will be focusing on, we might have $100 par value. Which you would never even think right. about uh, that.
0: It, it's a penny. It's a tenth of a penny, penny typically, or, or a no par. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. But but I've got plenty of clients where we have a hundred dollar or a thousand dollar per share par value um, in a Delaware corporation. So it's just something to, to, to keep in mind because unless you're unless you're focused on that issue, no most people in the U.S. will not understand that.
0: So Vinay, you just mentioned Delaware. Why we're sitting in New Jersey? Why why Delaware? Why
1: Delaware? So just like par value, I said we're not. Corporate attorneys and there's obviously a legal uh, aspect to this. I'm going to give you the non-legal answer, <laughs> which is Delaware is not a tax haven, but it's tax neutral, income tax neutral, meaning that if I'm if I'm formed in Delaware and I'm not doing any business in Delaware, Delaware is not going to subject me to an income tax. Um, plus, there are easy to easy state to work with, easy to form. My understanding is that from a corporate law point of view, it's, it's a lot easier to do things in Delaware than other jurisdictions. doesn't mean that you can't form a corporation in another jurisdiction. If I was coming from any foreign country and I knew and I knew my business was going to be anchored in another state, whether it be New Jersey, Florida, Texas, wherever, maybe I would bypass Delaware and I would, I would get formed in that state. But usually most of my clients that are coming uh, to the U.S. from outside the U.S. either are going to be involved in multiple states or they don't know where they're going to be. So that's why Delaware is just a great tax neutral location right. to start.
0: Right, it's 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 where you start to get those the, the, the kind of paperwork filed. Um, correct. You, you, get you an address.
1: Correct. You go through the process of forming the entity. You know, we, we all we usually recommend using an attorney to make sure it's done right. Um, but once you form the corporation, then yes, then you get into this issue. Uh, then the big next big challenge, Chris, is getting the federal employer identification number which is kind of our tax identification number in india they have something called a permanent account number pan this is kind of the the equivalent, the equivalent of, uh, of a pan and
0: so so you know i feel like there there are times where obtaining that ein can be difficult right especially with with these these you know maybe foreign owned businesses that don't have any any person in the us and a us based officer so you know what what is what does that process look like why why does it maybe Seem so daunting.
1: Yeah, so getting the EIN is really a straightforward process. It's a one-page form you can apply online. You do have to put the name of a responsible party, and that responsible party, they ask for a U.S. Social Security number. If you have the responsible party with a U.S. Social Security number, you can get the EIN online, real-time, easy. If you don't, your responsible person doesn't have to be a U.S. resident. Doesn't have to have a US, They don't have to have a U.S. Social Security number. But if they don't have a US Social Security number, you have to go through a manual process with the IRS. Your transaction time to get the EIN has gone from instantaneously online to maybe
0: a month, at the whim of the IRS opening your paper application, reviewing it, approving it. Where, right? If I want to do it personally, I can, you know. Right, and as we know, of the
1: you really cannot do anything without an EIN. You right. can't open
0: a bank account. You, right. You, Most
1: vendors are going to want EINs. Yep. You're just paralyzed. Yep. And that's often the dilemma that that my clients from India will, or outside the US will come from.
0: Right. It's 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 just a waiting game. It's, it's a waiting it's game. Just, it's just right. a waiting game.
1: Right. So so that's a, that's often a challenge.
0: You know, and 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 so you know, going back to what what you're talking about about you know, state taxes, right? So how does how, how does that process look right you know you mentioned that hey uh, maybe i'm going to start in delaware because that's a great launch off point if i have you know maybe no other physical connection to any other state yeah you know what happens when when the first thing i do is 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 open an office you know here in new jersey if you know there're a lot of life science companies that we see maybe coming here and mm-hmm. they sure. sign a small lease what does what does that do sure. to my, my delaware registration
1: yeah so so let let me take a step back so in the U.S., unlike a lot of countries, we've got a federal level, federal taxes, and then we have 50 states, all of which have, most of which have their own income tax, their own rules. And so just because you're, you're operating at a federal level, you still have to deal with the states. So let's take your example, which is kind of the easy example, which is I'm a life sciences company. I decide I want to be located in New Jersey because I've got business reasons to, to be in New Jersey. Then Again, now we're kind of branching off into the subject of corporate law. The Delaware entity would get registered with the Secretary of State of New Jersey to be authorized to do business. That's the legal formality. And then that same uh, corporation would file with the New Jersey Division of Taxation to be registered to pay New Jersey taxes, whether it be the income taxes on the corporate income, payroll taxes, et cetera.
0: You know, and, and so, you know, I think what we see, right, is it, is it can become really burdensome really quickly, you know, as, as in, like you mentioned, every state has different rules and requirements that, you know, if, if, if you've got nationwide sales, depending where your inventory is at, depending what, what your sales folks are doing, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a two $300 million company when all of a sudden there's a number of states knocking, you know, the states come knocking much, much sooner than that.
1: Yeah, true, true. But I would also look at it from a different point of view, because I will have a lot of clients come to me and say, OK, I read that Nevada doesn't have a tax, we're going to base everything in Nevada. And that's all good and fine if your business model supports being, being, based in Nevada. In, being in Nevada, because most of the states will have rules to pull you in. It's called nexus, what's that minimum connection a state needs to to pull you in. And it's based on business-driven factors: your volume of sales in your states, do you have employees in the states? So, yeah, there's some planning we can do when you're coming into the U.S., but th- we can't magically ma- wave a magic wand and right. say we're going to gonna be in Nevada. To make the problem
0: go away, right? Correct. It, it, Correct. It, it becomes a bit of a natural evolution. Maybe I'm registering Delaware. Uh, maybe then I'm, I then you know get my second state registration in New Jersey because that's where I want to be because of business purposes. And then you know next thing you know it goes to three to four to five you know. Right to right. five states that are that are requiring right. you to right. register.
1: Right, the message is like follow where the business footprint is. Yeah. Where do you need to be to be successful in the U.S. and let that be the driver.
0: Right, if you have to file another return because you're expanding your business into another state, I'm not so sure that's the worst thing. Right, right? Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. It's an indication the business is thriving and, and growing. You know, and and so you know maybe switch, switching gears a bit and thinking about transaction with that with that foreign parent company. First thing we we address is year-end. You know, in, the, in the US, the calendar is the common year-end for mm-hmm. everybody, um, Correct. Not, not such in most other parts of the world.
1: Correct. Correct. So in India, everything is on a March year-end. In the US, what we spoke about at the very beginning of the discussion is most of the time when you come to the US, you're going to be a C corporation. And one of the benefits of C corporations is you can pick any year-end year you want. And a lot of people will come to the US, form the US entity, and think they have to be on a calendar year-end. Um, and if you're a C corp, you can be on any year-end you want. And we find that 90% of our clients who are U.S. subsidiaries of Indian parents will adopt a March year end. A, it's convenient um, because your books are aligned on a yeah. worldwide basis. And there's some benefits under the foreign tax credit rules um, to being on a March year end. So it's almost a no-brainer.
0: What does that process look like? Say, say you know, there's a U.S. sub that's registered as as a December year end. What, is it, what does it take to switch Switch to a March to maybe bring that alignment into better parity? So most of the time, you can do it automatically
1: without prior IRS consent, and you would file a short period return. So if you were a December year-end, you'd have a you file your whatever your regular December year-end yep. is, and then you would file a short period return from January to March, and there's a form you attach that tells the IRS you're changing your year, and you have to fall within a certain guidelines to be able to do that automatically without IRS advanced consent and then, and then bingo you're on a you're on a March year end
0: every 12 months yeah you're not locked into it forever you're not locked it's, into it's it. an easy it's an easy it's an easy switch right you know and and so th- thinking about maybe those transactions with, with with parents I think the next thing we kind of run across is the dreaded idea of transfer pricing yes. what does that look like dreaded what's, transfer pricing. what's fair who's caring I mean it what is your experience, you know, maybe suggested, especially with you know with, with, with some of those countries out of in, you know, some of those
1: transfer pricing is something people build their careers on. I'm not a transfer pricing person, <laughs> but the, the obvious idea behind transfer pricing is if two related companies are dealing with each other, we want to make sure they're dealing with each other the way they would deal with each other as if they were unrelated, right? No government wants their profit or tax base to be to be eroded. By,
0: by by shifting income by shifting
1: income, correct you you said it better than I did. The concept of transfer pli- pricing is almost universal and the methods, my perception is they're they're very common they're very similar what the different methods the IRS allows are, are very similar to what most countries allow. Uh, in India, just anecdotally, transfer pricing seems to be a much more procedural uh, issue, meaning that all com- it seems like most all companies have a well put together transfer pricing approach because it is, is much more uh, in the spotlight in India. Okay. And I would say a majority of the time, that same transfer pricing methodology used in India will often work in the U.S. I've been in IRS audits where we've provided the IRS auditor the the copy of the Indian transfer pricing study. Generally, we've not had an issue. Doesn't mean you still have to. You shouldn't. It's got to be reasonable and will often have it vetted by a US transfer pricing person. But the concept is the same. Um, you know, Sometimes I will have companies with uh, IT companies where there'll be a US entity, um, which will really be the client-facing entity. It will contract with the US customers for IT services, but most, if not all, of the delivery or the fulfillment of those will be done by a, a related entity in India. Yep. So you can't just have zero profit in the U.S. Right? There's got to right, be right. some. There's
0: that salesman sourcing, you know, sourcing right. the clients, whatever it may be.
1: Correct. Whether it's a commission model, um, what what have you, but there's got to be some some recognition of that intercompany transactions.
0: I think certainly my experience is in line in line with yours, right? Where it seems to work out well that that the U.S. is able to follow. The foreign transfer pricing agreements, so 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 long as they're reasonable, right? So and, long as they're and, reasonable, and like you mentioned anecdotally, India is the, maybe the driver of it, but mm-hmm. um, like you said, consistency across the globe. Sure. Uh, when we were talking about the EIN, right, having having you know that that trusted person, what does it mean for like local officers and directors? The role of the officers and directors are are significant.
1: This is a great question. This comes up so often. So, in India, the term director has a very different meaning than it has in the U.S. In the U.S., we think of a director as somebody who's not part of day-to-day management, more of a stewardship role, acting on behalf of the shareholders, manage the management, um, oversee the management is yeah. a better word. Uh, whereas in India, when people use the word director, they're really using it more like the term, like we, we would consider an officer. Okay. So oftentimes, clients will send back you know, IRS forms with you have to put in your title, call themselves director and that just doesn't work yeah so they have to kind of adopt at least in the u.s corporate officer type uh, positions uh, president CEO CFO, secretary, the- secretary yep. uh, things like that
0: right and, and and like you said that's the while the titles may be consistent as in the director the the underlying meeting is uh, there's a big you know, disconnect correct um, correct. You know, and, and so, so thinking about um, another disconnect to, to me, I think one of the biggest things that that you know, being on the audit side, right? You kind of leading the tax, me kind of leading the audit side. The conversation that we have pretty often, where the U.S. has no requirement for any financial statements at all. If you've got clean books, clean enough to prepare a return on, hey, you've 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 met your obligation.
1: Right, right. There is no in the U.K. They got something called companies house, right, where you can for a lot of companies. Above a certain threshold, you can go online and see the financials of, of the company. And above a certain threshold, there's an audit requirement. Uh, s- same in India. Yep. Um, that concept obviously doesn't exist in the US. So uh, there's no audit requirement uh, as long as, you know, obviously the IRS can come and yeah. can audit you anytime they want. Um, but. Financial state, financial information in the U.S. is very private. I mean, I'll have clients from India say, we were trying to find out information about this potential vendor or
0: yeah, Target, Target
1: whatever. or whatever, and there really is no— right. It's a
0: private company, and it's— It's a,
1: it's a private company, you and, can't get. and there really is nothing. Now, a lot of our clients, because of an Indian auto requirement, will want their U.S. books audited, and, and we can certainly help them with that. But there's no U.S. focused requirement. For, for sure, it. right.
0: And, and in, those, in those instances, it's, it's, the, it's the parent that's, that's driving the bus, right? They're the ones right. saying, hey, we need it on IFRS or we need it on, on U.S. GAAP or income tax basis, whatever it may be, right. um, that, 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 hey, the what's important is how it rolls up into the bigger picture. Um, you know, exactly. Not so, much, not so much here, which is, you know, I, I think some of the folks we talk to abroad, it's, it's a bit of a shock, right? Yeah. Right. Because I think, like you said, it's the norm in a lot of places other than the U.S., Especially once you reach a certain size, that you know, of course, your information should be you know in the public domain. What do you mean? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> maybe spinning it back one, you know, to maybe one final topic on taxes, mm-hmm. right? Yep, there's there's income taxes that we talked about in some of some of the different states, but you know, that's that's not the only one that we've maybe seen companies get tripped up on. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and in fact, I think some of those you know sales tax, use taxes, uh, GSTs, if you will, have maybe more pitfalls than the state income taxes that you kind of see coming.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so look, in the tax world, we, have, we divide the world into two halves, direct tax, which is income tax, and indirect tax, which is what you're alluding to, Chris. So in the US, obviously, we have a sales tax, a tax imposed on the final, usually retail, the final consumer of a product or service, and they pay a one-time sales tax, assuming that the transaction itself is subject to sales tax in that particular state. In India and in a large part of the rest of the world, you have a GST or a VAT-type concept, Where you pay an indirect tax on your purchase of your your inputs, you charge a indirect tax on your sale, and you 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 get a credit for your inputs, so you end up paying remitting to the government the net. Just the difference, right? That concept just doesn't exist. It's you know I've had clients come here and they want to set up their charts of accounts to keep track of sales tax inputs, but
0: right in the U.S. that's merely an expense. What what you pay has no bearing.
1: C- correct. Well well ideally, you may not be paying any sales tax depending on the nature of your, your transaction yes,
0: it gets more much more complicated right and, and it doesn't help that you know every much like the income tax, every state's different. Some of them don't have any. Right. What's, what's subject to sales tax can vary wildly and you know maybe similar to abroad whether or not you're the end user how those inputs then get further further processed through there may or may not be opportunities for exemption. And so, you know, these indirect taxes can maybe be more complicated than sales.
1: Right. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot there's a lot less consistency across the states, um, and especially with companies coming from abroad, um, in the in the world of electronic commerce, uh, you know, that can be a big trap because some states will, if you just look at the world of software as a service (SaaS), yep. some states will impose sales tax on SaaS products, some will not, um, and that can just be a very tricky item, and it's just really, if you don't plan for it, you could end up um, in a difficult situation, owing a lot of money that you could have passed on to your, yeah. your clients had you... Had you been know- proactive
0: and known about it. Exactly. Right, and, and, and so it, to me, that's, you know, knowledge is power, right, mm-hmm. and, and with, with there being, you know, so, so much um, differentiation across the states, mm-hmm. plug your tax department, Vinay, this <laughs> is why maybe it's, it's so important to have those, those great advisors, the attorneys, the accountants, um, you know, kind of, kind of on the upfront.
1: Yeah, constant communication is the key. Whether you're going to a new state or developing a new product line, um, you may go. You may go from a situation where you're not uh, subject to sales tax to a situation you are subject to
0: sales tax. Right. Just because just those rules are so mm-hmm. different. For me, maybe the last question is: um, I know you've ran the 10K uh, before <laughs> when you were in Mumbai. So, are you going to be faster this year than you were a couple I will years ago? I'll be definitely
1: slower. <laughs> I will be definitely slower. It's a few years since I've I've, I've ran it, so. Uh, there you go. Definitely going to be slower. I just want to go have a good time.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's you know, it's 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 getting into the summertime over there, so you can you can escape the thirty-degree weather here in New <laughs> exactly. Jersey. Well,
1: I'll be going to thirty degrees Celsius.
0: So yeah, exactly. Weather. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right, <so> thirty. Thirty. It'll <laughs> <you'll> be fine. <laughs> Uh, so Vinay, anyway, this this has been great. Any any maybe final thoughts as we as we wrap up here?
1: No, it's this has been fun, and uh, we we you know we love having conversations with people um, just to kind of brainstorm, and because every time we have a conversation, I'm learning something new too. So so I really enjoy these opportunities to speak with people, expanding their business to the, to the U.S.
0: Yeah, no, and listen, I, I I think I feel the same way. It's you know this is this is the exciting stuff. Um, you know, helping helping companies, you know expand their business, grow, and um, how we can help, you know, make sure that they're pointing the ship in the right direction. Right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So this has been Chris Frederick with an ep- another episode of Wilken and Gut and Plans Balance Sheet Breakdown, we help you make sense of the numbers.